show new intro almost a new year this is mike mike and oscar an oscar race checkpoint episode for your holiday magic uh how i feel about the holidays is akin to that david dana carvey <laughs> sketch from old snl way back in the day i'm doing fine please go away i'm doing well please go that's my take on the holidays i'm mike one this is co-host fellow elf also mike I was sending a bunch of grumpy Christmas gifts today with our six degrees. <laughs> yes, I saw that. that out, yes, so good job. I'm kind of with you yeah. on on all of that. I, I definitely got a little funk going on today is it, for Christmas. Is it all just Chase Young inspired? Is that yeah, why we're just two be. miserable Giants fans watching our team win when they can't even lose properly? We can't even lose properly. You're absolutely <laughs> right. We talked about it for a half an hour before recording today, and uh, that is very true. But we were cheered up by an SNL. We were cheered up by... Uh, some thing, some news in the uh, award season world, so we got all that coming. And maybe not a movie review that we're going to get to this episode as well. <laughs> right, I thought I'd be cheered up by that, because yeah. I saw it in theaters, we're yeah. going to review The Two Popes, I saw it in theaters, kind of liked it, Rewatched it on Netflix, and uh, just things stuck out to me, like, wait, what, wait, what did they yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, some abominable things, I think, going on there. We're going to get to all that. This is Oscar Race Checkpoint. This is your look around all things award season and Oscar-centric news. If you're looking for more news about the blockbuster, and more mainstream movies. Well, we have another whole separate news show for you later in the week that's going to be called MMO Weekly. We do both these, Oscar Race Checkpoint and MMO Weekly episodes uh, every week. So you have two different news shows. One is Oscars-based and award season-centric. That is this one. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And like Mike said, we're going to start on a high note. Uh, maybe not Oscars related, but kind of Oscars related because it's definitely part of his campaign. It's but fun. Yeah, Eddie we Murphy fun. came back to SNL this, this past weekend. So I figured we should start with something like this because, you know, there's a lot of great sketches. SNL made me laugh for an hour. Mm. And that, that was big because I've watched... It's new, yeah. It doesn't happen often like that anymore. I'll shut it off after like 35 right. minutes, you know, DVR, whatever, BOD. This episode had me laughing in the last sketch. You know, it's a great job by everybody involved. And not you're not alone there, and I made this comment uh, on social media. Everybody was just eating. Everyone was a kid again, watching Eddie Murphy and watching Eddie Murphy play along and bringing friends along. That opening intro where he was given the monologue and he's joined on stage by Tracy Morgan and then Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock all joined him. That was awesome. Good job by Lauren Mike. Michael's too, making sure Keenan gets in that photo too at the end oh. there. So it's the five of them on stage. That was uh, the biggest laugh for yeah, me. It looked so, yeah, that was great. At the <laughs> end, you're right, uh, Dave Chappelle. And I want to now. That's enough of that. <laughs> Beck Bennett trying to get in there. A uh, great job. Yeah, I'm with you. It was a very fun, but it was also just as fun watching social media, watching everyone go, revert to like being 12, 13 again, yeah. staying up in their parents' house and watching SNL. It was great. So Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the mass Singer, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, Ro Robinson's Neighborhood, <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas commercial. That commercial was pretty good. You had Black Jeopardy. You had Weekend Update Gumby. And for me, my favorite skit was the Food Network baking show. It was so out of left field, too. He, he brings back all his characters that he was famous for doing back in the 80s on SNL. Yeah. And then he does this Food Network cooking competition that's just... Hilarious. Well, the two new skits that he did, the one, the last skit yeah. at the North Pole with the, you know, the Elf News, whatever. Which I was listening to J.A. Adande and Bill Simmons, and Adande mentioned that that's actually something he did on one of his stand-ups, that oh, really? Elf, the Black Eye Witness uh, character that he did there. I, I love the two Same. new sketches, but the, yeah, the callbacks were funny. I, I know your favorite was the Weekend Update Gumby. Gumby killed me, and this was a point Simmons made, too, on that same podcast. I just was listening to this right before yeah. you got in here today, and he was saying it seemed like Gumby is at the time when Eddie kind of got into his groove. That's what Simmons said. I thought Eddie was in a groove the entire episode. I thought he was crushing it the whole time and was comfortable. Yeah, he flubbed some lines, but that you're going to yeah. do that. It's no no big deal. Especially I, because of the weight of the moment. I mean, right. everybody was tuning in. SNL had to have done a peak rating uh, for the first time in years, I would think. I would have. I would think so, too. But, yeah. I mean, he hasn't performed like that exactly. in forever. Live, right. So that, that's very difficult. He probably didn't, you know, rehearse 100,000 times. But the Gumby stuff, like, why is he Gumby? Why? It's just 
just it so was funny. so funny. And, and and it it, it makes no sense. I, I don't know if the frame of reference works for anybody that's like not a thirty year old. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't it, at all. The the key to the joke is why is he Gumby? And why it is Gumby matter. a black Jewish guy? Right. Like, why is he a mensch? It was so. And, and Eddie Murphy's just he's ad libbing. He's throwing yes. he's throwing it back at Michael Shea and Colin Jost with the host dying. there. Oh, it was so fun. And that's kind of the joy of it. Like, yeah. look, I want to make an overall point. Yes, Eddie was great, but this is what I'm saying. This is why you suffer as a pro wrestling fan. This is why you suffer with SNL, because you still have these moments. These things, these entities are capable of making these moments still. They only happen yeah. once in a blue moon, but there's no other entertainment vehicles that can provide these moments that when they happen, it's appointment viewing. You have to see there. It's part of the zeitgeist that becomes ingrained in culture. Cosign. Let's rope it into the Oscars discussion, yeah. though, because he has been campaigning at Murphy. Sure has. He did win over uh, a couple of the precursors, and I know he d- he didn't get a-, a few of them as well. But he might be the favorite for that Golden Globe category right now, Mike. Over Leo. Yeah, he might be. Which would be a, a surprise, but it's, it's not something we're going to be mad at. And at the end no. of the day... I'm not going to be mad at an Eddie Murphy being a great movie star in a, in a film that was one of my favorite movie going right. experiences of the year because I laughed my butt off. He I've never me, seen you laugh that much. He gave me some of the best laughs of the year just yeah. based on SNL and this. So if he's hilarious in a performance and com- comic performances are continually underrated at the Academy, we're not going to be mad. And he might charm the pants off of the Academy. He did with the Hollywood Foreign Press. I would not be shocked if he squeaks in. Yeah. Stop me if you've heard this before, but we have two slots right now, as it looks, in that best yeah. actor category, that lead actor category. Leo, for all intents and purposes, as much as I just said, it, Eddie might be the favorite over him at the Golden Globes. We know the HFPA and the Academy are two different animals. It seems like the Academy, at least the, the acting portion of it, has an affinity for Leo. I think Leo's safe. We know Driver and Phoenix are safe. And then it's kind of spin the wheel and, and pick your poison. Ow, De Niro has just won over some critics' uh, nominations that I saw over the weekend. The Online Critics Association, I think, picked them picked him as well. Uh, Eddie's in the race. There's a, uh, Christian Bale's in the race. We saw that with Sag and a couple other bodies. So there's going to be... Christian Bale's looking stronger. Yeah, there's this thought. group of like six or seven names out there that, that it could be. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm hopeful it's Eddie Murphy for one of them. That'd be great. Bale and Murphy wouldn't surprise me. Banderas and Murphy wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, we'll talk about Jonathan Price's chances and where he fits on the best actor race as well. Uh, that'll be at the end of the episode. We're going to kick our two Popes review. We just recorded it. We do some spoiler stuff, so we wanted to have that held for you guys at the end of this episode, so just be warned. We do get into some spoilerific stuff. It's kind of tough to review that and not talk about spoilers attached to it, so that's why we did that. That'll be at the end of this episode. You'll have our Jonathan Price breakdown for the best actor race. We'll also be talking about making the case for some other stuff related to the two popes as well but for now let's go on and talk about some more awards stuff first mike we had the satellite awards they announced their winners this is from the international press association ford v ferrari and once upon a time in hollywood took home the two best pictures they got comedy or musical and drama categories mm-hmm. uh bale and egerton johansson and aquafina took the leads acting categories j-lo and defoe took the supporting the biggest story for me though was truth and justice from estonia Beats Parasite. Yeah! <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Me and the International Press Association. We get it now. Yeah, Unfor- guess what yeah. else you did? <laughs> all right, keep all right, fine. Unfortunately for fans of Upsets and your neighborhood Mike won here, this is kind of routine in this category for the Satellites. Roma won the category for Best International Feature last year, but only two times since 2010 have they actually picked the winner that would go on to win the Oscar. So Ew. this is, yeah, and yeah probably not lose. a lot of correlation. Parasite's going to win. Parasite going to win. There's no question about it. Is Parasite the biggest category lock right now? Yes. Yeah, you think so? More than Brad Pitt and supporting? More than uh, Roger Deakins' cinematography? Well, Roger Deakins is probably up there. But there's great cinematography this year. There is. Like, I wouldn't be as shocked there as I would be if Parasite loses to anything. Because it's won yeah, you're everything. Right. You're probably right. You're and it's a right. best, best Picture nominee when none of the rest of them will be. Also worth mentioning, you, you kind of glossed over it, but Aquafina getting another Best Actress win to her mantle. It's important for her resume. Johansson beating Zellweger, which I, I do think might happen at the end of the day yeah. going forward. It's important for Egerton. It's important for Aquafina. I think it all matters. All this stuff matters. Well, it's, Even the critic scoreboard, it does matter. It's just impossible for Renee Zellweger to win because she already won one. And we don't give a second award to people who <laughs> did no matter how much they deserve it. That might be true as well. <laughs> they also picked The Lion King for Best Animated Feature. Yes. Which was a 
<laughs> just all right. I get it. You put it in the category, and I kudos for putting it in the category. It shouldn't even be there. Yeah. But all right, VFX related, fine. It's good. It's animation related. It's good enough, right? I I don't have. I have less of a problem with it being called an animated picture than I do with it being called a live action adaptation. Yes, but at the same time, it is not even close to Toy Story Four. In my opinion, it's not close to On Merit. You're talking on Merit yeah, to yeah, uh, Frozen Two, where I lost my body. It is not a good movie to me. I know. I know you took your niece and nephew to see it. You yeah, I mean that's the that's the magic of it is the company you go with. But no, I, and I'm sure if I saw I had problems with Frozen Two, I'm sure if I took my niece and nephew to Frozen Two, I'd be nicer on it. So yeah, it's I, I don't take that into account when doing uh, right. my Oscars predictions. All right, James Mangold won Best Director, Mike. I'm surprised we haven't seen this more throughout awards season. He's honestly. a favorite for the press, for the critics, for the definitely for the Academy over the years. He's been nominated over the years. You would think that he would have a better track record. This is one of the only ones I can remember him getting the actual win in on. It seems like director is kind of that that Bong Joon-ho, Scorsese, Tarantino, that group right now. I do think at the end of the Critics Association, you get some wild picks. This happens every year when yeah. we talk about you know, a couple coming up, or at least the scoreboard changing slightly, even though the runaways are running away. Mm-hmm. But because of that consensus being built, there are some choices at the tail end here that are like, no, don't forget about this. Would this you, guy, don't would, forget about her. Would you rather have the Oscars be like Heisman voting, where it's a, a fluid number of invites each year? Like, if we only have those three for lead actors right now, why not just invite those three and have the category be three nominees? They'll would, never go with that. Of course they wouldn't. Industry but, pr- prerogative yeah. that they always want to take advantage of, of t- drawing attention to more movies. Do but. you like the idea of them drawing attention to as many movies as possible, or would you rather it be just if we have the serious contenders just bring the serious contenders since we're on the heels of the Heisman trophy ceremony not happening long ago I don't think the Heisman format would work yeah, I, don't I, don't so. I, I don't think I don't think I would like it at the end of the day I would rather really. have more nominees as well right. and it's fun to see who the villains are Right. Uh, Marriage Story and Joker won the screenplay awards. That might be what happens at the end of the day. I, I know the Irishman is, is my is my pick, but I do think Joker as a screenplay is going to be given more credit. I mean, for audacity alone, I know we have ethical problems with it, but for, for making that work somehow. How do I retrofit that narrative to work <laughs> for me in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? <laughs> I'm of two minds of this. Joker, if they're that serious about it, because they're not taking... We know the Academy's not going to take it seriously as a Best Picture candidate. So winning screenplay, if it were to do that on Oscar Sunday, is kind of like its Best Picture win, right? Do we know it's not going to be taken seriously as a Best Picture it's candidate? It's not. Is it going to come through the middle? If we have Once Upon a Time an Irishman sharing votes, Parasite getting a certain amount of votes, the Joker... <sighs> I mean, you you Joker, Joker to win through the middle. It'd have to be on more top threes than Parasite and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I, I can you see that? I can't see. Here's the thing: I could see Joker winning the Globe. Sure, I could see. Well, yeah, well, the Globe's all about campaigning, too, right? Right. I mean, you schmooze the HFPA enough. Yeah, I could Joker's see that. gonna win some crafts. It's gonna win some technical nominations. I don't think you're wrong. And it, and it won score here. Mm-hmm. I think it could it could do better than we're thinking. God, I hope not. I hope not as well. <laughs> Even though we did a rewatch series leading up to it, and we didn't love that movie. Right. I kind of want to rewatch it again. I don't know. Maybe I'll see something I missed. I know it's available to own right now, and you can you probably rent it pretty soon. Anyway, Rocket Man won song. Deacons won cinematography. Amen to this one though. Alita: Battle Angel won VFX. Yeah, that's nice to say. There's things I liked about this award show, and gonna there's make, things I didn't like. Going to make very a lot of people very happy online. <laughs> I, I love that Defoe won for The Lighthouse. He's getting uh, to, he's getting some nods all over here. In my top three, again, I'm going to talk about some other actors that are better than Anthony Hopkins. Defoe is better than Anthony Hopkins in this movie versus <laughs> Hopkins in that movie. All right. Uh, but, you know, The Lion King is a weird choice. You yeah, know, people I, love innovation, Mike. You know, I mean, like, it's the same problem you have with the Irishman's FX. It's just that if there's a yeah. big budget, a big scale adaptation of this new technology and people have the, studios have the audacity to put it forward, they're going to get recognized for frustrated it. with the fact that you have a best animated feature category talking about the whole composition correct and you just because the animation is gorgeous and it was yeah but there's still a problem with it though it's like I, the irishman vfx i like you got you. you got some you know groundbreaking work mm-hmm. being done but you also have the fact that it doesn't work in the story like those cats don't emote they don't emote at all you want to talk it's about, ridiculous talk about cats emoting 
I got some cats that'll emote <laughs> for you. The cats and cats emoted more <laughs> oh, than the cats emote. and the yeah. Lion King. They also just firing off pheromones. <laughs> <laughs> if the cats in the Lion King emoted as much as the cats did in cats, I would have thrown up. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. All right, but not that way, but just as much. I don't know. I don't know how to make words make sense right now. Simone and Pumba are fucking. <laughs> All right. Strangely enough, the Irishman was also not heavily nominated here. I thought that was weird. So the satellite awards have a history of of awkwardness and weirdness. Last year, a Star is Born won Best so Picture. Weed, by the way, true. Uh, Star is Born won Best Picture Comedy Musical last year, even though it wasn't a comedy or musical at the Globes. Uh, so. Take that for what it's worth. Beale Street mm-hmm. ended up winning Best Picture for Drama. Uh, drama? Drama. Isle of Dogs won animated feature last year, and Spider-Verse wasn't nominated. So with no Irishman this year, this is the type of award show we're just dealing with. We're dealing with this one. No, I, I thought there was some wild choices, yeah. so that was fun yeah. to talk about. Uh, the Black Film Critics Circle Awards also came out. The Irishman did well there. Mm-hmm. Dolomite Is My Name was the big winner, though. It had Best Film, Ensemble, Actor, and Supporting Actress go to it. Yeah, a couple other big ones. You know, Lupita Nyong'o, nice to see her getting another uh, mantle on her. Black Panther won the Best Picture Award last year over the likes of Black Klansman, The Hate You Give, and Beale Street. Viola Davis and Bradley Cooper were the winners of the lead acting trophies for Widows and A Star is Born there. Uh, we had, like I said, Lupita winning it this year. Lena Waithe, as it was well. nice yeah, to see Lena her Waithe getting a moment yep. uh, for Queen and Slam. I, I did think like the romance of that script really worked for me. I was surprised by that. I, I would not have expected that to be as polarizing as it is. I still haven't seen it myself, but I just, the reception's been kind of all over the place. Polarizing's been a word I have used often this year to talk about the reception for certain films. There's there's polls out yeah. there. Let's just say, I don't mean Polish people, you're a Polish person, but there are polls out there and people tend to gravitate to yeah. each of them. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> all right, I wanted to update the critic scoreboard because we talked about it at length last week. Yes. I think it's important. And a lot of the, the runaways have run away with yeah. the leads. Yeah. You know, you have Parasite for Best Picture. You have Bong Joon-ho for Best Director. You have Driver and Lupita taken off. You have Brad Pitt. And then you have Dern that basically had a small lead over the field with Pew and J-Lo. And she's still got a... Yeah, keep an eye on Pew. That's still a, it's still a name we're, we're kind of tracking here to see what she does. I want to keep an eye on Pew. We're going to review Little Women yeah. later in the week. Uh, in terms of a, a few jockeying positions, Renee Zellweger got bumped down by Scarlett Joe. I think that... Interesting. Is kind of important. That might yeah. tell you something. In editing, Ford v. Ferrari has jumped ahead of The Irishman. And VFX, you had Ad Astra in the lead. I think when we talked, Avengers Endgame has taken a slight lead. Since then, Ad Astra is not in the shortlist. So there's two things I want to mention, two points I want to make. Um, one, I, I'm tired of the Critics Awards. <laughs> I, like it, it's gotten to the point where like uh, the Irishman, how we were reviewing the fourth and fifth trailer for those, and I'm just like, just give me the movie. There's saturation very quickly with these critics. Ex- like, yeah. Ju- yeah, give me the other awards. Now I get it. I, I get the sense of what the how the critics feel. Let's get some other stuff. It's like but, watching a blowout in a sports game. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's like let's go to something else here. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's my first point. My second point. You talk about Ad Astra. You talk about Avengers Endgame. The VFX shortlist is something I just wanted to give mention to really quick and talk about and at least just. You we didn't know the extent yeah. to which they screwed this up. Shame on that branch for cats, right? Because I- I've heard from fans of Detective Pikachu. I've heard from fans of Godzilla King of Monsters. And they've talked about how outraged they are. But the real people that should be outraged is Ad Astra. Because mm-hmm. those three films, Ad Astra especially, was left off the shortlist for VFX. It's one thing to list cats in the shortlist at all, even though it's likely that it wasn't seen by a lot of people, let's be honest. It's another thing to list cats in the VFX shortlist when three days later the studio comes out and says, hey, by the way, it wasn't finished. We're going to redistribute the film with updated VFX. So the VFX version that you were voting on that made this shortlist for this movie that shouldn't have been there anyway weren't even finished and weren't the actual VFX that people are going to see once they go to the theaters. Like, that's lazy. That's just doing a disservice to things like Ad Astra, who was doing very well in these Critics' Precursor Awards and the Critics' Circle Awards for the VFX category, and now it's not going to have a chance to show up on Oscar Sunday. I don't have a hot take here other than to say it's fascinating that the branch, the VFX branch, which is full of craftspeople and, you know, retired and lauded alumni, you have them, and then you have the critics. Those are two very separate groups. Yes. The fact that they love the cats 
They didn't see it. There's no way, right. Mike. They they saw the trailers and they belligerently put it in there because this is a belligerent pick. Everybody else, audiences around the world, <laughs> us as film critics, hate them. There's they no way they ruined the movie. Saw it. The VFX in that movie, the costumes, Offensively the production, design bad. are all misses. The consensus is that they've all missed and messed up the movie. And misses in the worst way. It's not even awesomely bad. They just right. make you think that the cats are horny. Like it's, it's just it's bullshit. awful. No, it, this is a bullshit tag in terms of a shortlist. And. To make matters worse, Ad Astra has a legitimate chance in this category. It won't now, obviously. It's not on the shortlist. It can't be. It can't win. But VFX has historically, at least recently, gone to the more practical effect-leaning mm-hmm. movies, and Ad Astra has those more so than these big-budget blockbusters, regardless of how we feel about that. This is an interesting fact about voting bodies. We saw it in a big way with the presidential race in 2016. We'll see it again in Academy races going forward. We saw it. It's with- all up to Russia. We saw it with the Hollywood Foreign <laughs> Press. This is a fuck you vote. Cats getting in here is a middle finger to the rest of the world. We disagree with you. It's F you. This is a fuck you belligerent vote right and, here. And I know, like, I know it's just the FX branch. I know, but the Academy is still doing things the Academy has always done. Mm-hmm. I find it very, very hard to bring it back to Best Picture. That Academy is going to just wholly embrace a movie like Parasite a year after, uh, the same year they're doing this with Cats and clearly not watching it, and a year after just propelling Green Book to the top. I just, be trepidatious if you're a big Parasite fan. I am trepidatious just in general. Um, <laughs> just in life. In life. I, even though I, I say the darndest things, and I basically, I called out the VFX brands for saying fuck you to all of us. Yeah, and they, I think, they, they, I they think they you're right. I think, I think you're that's right. what they did. All right, do we want to mention the Ricky Gervais tweets here? I don't know if there's a lot to mention yet. I, I mean, this is stupid of him, but he's been on blast. He yeah. was making some jokes against the, basically... Against the LGBTQ community, uh, there hasn't been any fallout yet other than people shaming him and Variety writing some articles, so he we'll see. He says he was playing along with a stupid fake account. I don't want to defend him because I don't understand the, this this whole back and forth. I'm, I'm with like, you. I've read it, and I, I'm still, I don't really get jokes? what's going on yet, so I'm with you. I don't know. I To me, I read it, and I, was, I thought some of the jokes he was actually going... Like along with the the defense of of that community, but everyone says otherwise. So I'm maybe not smart enough to understand what was going on, and it. I didn't see it in real time. So I, I don't, don't know. get it. And he just seemed to piss everyone off, right? No matter what. So and that's I mean, there's not a lot to talk about because there hasn't been fallout yet. We'll see if there's any consequence, and if there are, we're going to definitely stay on top of it. And if anyone can provide more clarification as to what went on, Mike and I didn't want to make a big deal about this because, like you just heard, we don't really grasp exactly what happened or what went down here. So uh, we're thirsty for any kind of input from you if you know exactly what went down. Please uh, share it and let us know. He's joking about serious issues. It's just, you know, you got to have some taste. I, I mean, I get free speech. I get it. But ha- have some taste. You know, what are you doing? Jokes have consequence. Like, this is the age Everything we live has in now. Right. Yeah. You, have, you have to deal with the consequences of what you say. We're spitting that's fire the, today. That's We're the... spitting fire. He's a fucking idiot. Life Can we just say that? Well, you know. He's a fucking idiot for... He'll say it. anything. Well, the Golden Globes got yeah, their wish. Guess what? Mm-hmm. Hey, it's a two-sided coin? Sword? A lot of metaphors. I didn't like right. Two Face. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of two things that are also one. Go on. Tenant is a palindrome, and we have some Oscar trailers <laughs> because we're talking about Oscars 2020. This is a fun time of year because when everybody's focused on movies, you get a preview of the next year's movies. Tenant dropped a, a huge trailer ahead of Star Wars. This was awesome to see. Finally. I'm jealous you got to see it on a big screen because I did not. I didn't get this out of my Star Wars viewing. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a monster this year. July is coming. This is Christopher Nolan's latest. It's been much ballyhooed. This, Tenet and Dune have been the two. Dune's going to be coming out at yep. the end, I think, of next year. Denis Villeneuve. Everybody in Hollywood is in one of these two movies. And this one, Tenet, is starring John David Washington, Robert Pattinson also has a supporting role. And what did you think, Mike? This is a batshit premise. All right, we get a scene where John David Washington is entering a situation and there's a glass wall, there's shots in the wall, but then he says... It hasn't happened yet, right? And then something starts to happen. Is that the it that hasn't happened yet? Why is time going backwards at certain particular moments in this trailer, in this story, in this movie? I gotta know. So, I mean, they 
hooked me. Well, in a meta concept, I can tell you exactly why. Because Christopher <laughs> Nolan is a lunatic. I imagine the guy just sits and stares at a clock as yeah. it goes round and round for hours he on end. He definitely stares at a clock. And just at some point, after like nine hours of doing this, he just says, no, this won't do. Him and his brother are mentally so tough. <laughs> After the writer's block they probably had to deal with at a certain time in their lives, so that they will stare at a clock and they just can't deal with that. Yeah, these screenplays that he just whips up where the (laughs) linear time is meaningless and a foreign concept to them. Uh, I expect more of the same here. We got that with Inception. We certainly got that with Memento, obviously. Can you imagine... This guy making a Saw movie with how that jumps around in its linear time plot as well. I would love to see that. But. I want to see Christopher Nolan's Back to the Future movie. Right. I want to see him deal with time travel. Right. Uh, Maybe we point. get it at this in this movie. I don't know. I, this this is, could be yeah. exactly that. Uh, but I dig this setup. Sure. I mean, we have John David Washington passing this ultimate spy test, right? This ultimate test of a spy basically being duped into a situation where he thinks he's forced to sacrifice his life for his country, for his colleagues. It proves that he's a hero. Gets held at gunpoint by Ray Fiennes. It's not Ray Fiennes. What? It's Martin Donovan. Yeah, you did you read this? <laughs> I put it in yellow. No, no, that's no. Ray Fiennes. <laughs> it's not Ray Fiennes. It's Martin Donovan. <laughs> you can't see. That was Ray Fiennes. You're a blind man. Any movie with Ray Fiennes is a friend of mine. <laughs> Now I get you're playing on. I didn't get it at first. I'm too angry by the two popes and the fucking VFX branch at the academy to allow your joke to work on me. But eventually, all right, I'm talking through it. It's slowly working. Good. I've beaten the dead horse. But look, eat this trailer, James Bond. Eat this trailer, Ethan Hunt, because this was a cool-ass spy movie. We got John David Washington. Let's have a whole franchise built on, on him leading this thing. I thought he was great. In terms of the performance in this trailer, showing a lot of emotional range in this too. He's crying at one minute. He's playing the action. He's playing the sleuth. He's a very good job. Also, look, two hundred twenty-five million dollar listed budget for this. Yeah, I would have thought because of the way this looks and because it's Christopher Nolan, I would have thought he goes to his longtime collaborator and his longtime editor, Lee Smith. Lee Smith was the editor who did The Dark Knight. He did Inception. He did three other Nolan films. He won the editing Oscar for Dunkirk two years ago. Nolan, for whatever reason, doesn't go in that direction. He this time it's going to. Jennifer Lane, she's the editor on this one. It's her first job alongside Nolan, and it was she was actually the editor of Marriage Story, and she's done five films with Noah Baumbach. So it's going to be quite the jump in editorial styles for her. She's used to doing these, you know, city realistic city dramas. She's now doing this Christopher Nolan time fuck thing, and it's an interesting <laughs> choice by Nolan to hire her and go away from Lee Smith, who he's been with uh, for so long. So I'm going to keep an eye on that. I'm excited to see it. Let's just say the time fuck thing is very important <laughs> to this plot line. So the editing is going to be extremely important to this movie. I did. I did have one quabble. Okay. Like the bunging up the side of the building after you make three Batman movies makes no sense to me. I mean, I get it. You're doing something to get up to the top of the building, but it's just like why you slingshot yourself. Yeah. The fact that dope though doesn't it? It looks dope. Yes. It is a physics experiment that is very unnecessary to me. (laughs) Like just throw a hook. Or shoot a bat thing, or obviously have the equipment. Well, maybe that was time movie. going backwards, and he's going forward, so it's... Uh... It, ha- it better have to do with time, because there's more efficient <laughs> ways to get up to the top of the building, is all I'm saying. Had a teaser for another one that might be an Oscars contender next year. Respect! Can you spell it? Mike, Jennifer Hudson was born for That's this a role. Cue. Hugh, yes, she was. And I'm very glad they casted her. Jennifer Hudson playing the Aretha Franklin character in the Aretha Franklin biopic. If they didn't cast Jennifer Hudson for this, it would have been not only a disservice to Jennifer Hudson, but also I think all of us would have been like, man, wouldn't have Jennifer Hudson have been great in this role? So I think they had to. I think this is the perfect casting. Somebody should like VFX a stupid parody where it's just a cat. <laughs> That'd be terrible. <laughs> it's meta. It's meta because she fucked up. Well, cats. you, I bring up like that's a decent point that's though. They joke. rushed Just this awful. teaser out, right? Shame on you for laughing. Well, I wonder sincerely, and I wrote this down. It has something to do with it. I wonder if they rushed this teaser out on the heels of cats being the debacle and received as such as it was, where maybe they're trying to her team at least right. is really trying to switch the narrative awfully quickly. You're right that it's purposeful, but it's always purposeful with big movie studios. It's true. It's big movie studio. Releases one movie, 
they're going to release trailers for their next set of movies. If uh, a big star is coming out with a movie, then that other studio is going to release the the next movie with that big star. Mm-hmm. So Jennifer Hudson being a big star, she of course it makes sense that they release this at the same time. I, I, it turns out that your theory at work here is the one playing out instead of okay this is great by Jennifer Hudson, so that'll be great. Ride the coattails, yeah. No, this is like, oh my Switch God. Switch the narrative. <laughs> yeah. She's coming out with another great movie, don't cats? worry. What's Cats? No, she wasn't in Cats. <laughs> She's bad at Cats. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> I, at the beginning of the year, I was nominating her for Best yeah. Supporting Actress, Best yeah, you Original weren't alone. Song. You weren't alone. Supporting, yeah, I, I'm with you, man, but no, it wasn't to be. Uh, I'm, I apologize if I mispronounce this this name. Liesl Tommy, I think, is the way you pronounce it making her feature directorial debut here with respect, but she's no stranger to massive talent. She's directed episodes of The Walking Dead. She's directed episodes of Jessica Jones, and she's done Good. directed live stage productions on Broadway alongside Lupita Nyong'o and Denai Guerrero. So, and that's what we get here. Yeah, she knows talent, and she can direct talent. We get a stage beautifully mm-hmm. lit up, R-E-S-P-E-C-T in the background, shiny and gold for Oscar season. Yeah. And all you need is Aretha Franklin as Jennifer Hudson here, singing to just sell us on the movie. I'm seeing this movie. Best original song next year is wrapped up, right? If they have an original song. I would think. They have to, right? I would think. A B-side? Yeah, something like that. Look, she's the the leader in the clubhouse in terms of Best Actress next year for getting a nomination. Yeah. I would say at this moment, I think that would be a safe bet, right? I'm with you. I echo you. Look, you can screw anything up. We you no, sure can. <laughs> but I don't think they can screw this up. This Hopefully not. Screw up, Hopefully not, yeah. In terms of a nomination. Yeah. We're seeing a bunch of movies in the acting categories in recent years mm-hmm. that have not been great, but have still nominated their star because their star put on a great performance. I have high hopes for it. I really do. Downhill, Mike. This trailer made me laugh. I think it's a remake of Force Majeure. You're going to have so with that. It's it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus married to Will Ferrell. Yeah. They go on this skiing trip. Yeah. They get caught basically in an avalanche where Ferrell just abandons his family. <laughs> and it's dealing with the fallout from there. It's a fake avalanche, I think, because it's supposed to happen. The lights are going on. Oh, is it? Know. Okay. So they planned it. And they plan this avalanche to happen. And it really just gets a du- They get a dusting. <laughs> They get a dusting up there, but it was, they freaked him out. And, of course, Will Ferrell just, like, grabs his phone yeah. and runs from his family high knees, which is hilarious. It's hilarious, of course. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is giving him hell the rest of the trail. You say force majeure. I am positive. There was a viral video that went out last year of this family eating at this ski resort outside as an avalanche starts coming down the hill and the wife is pleading with the husband, let's move, that's gonna get... And the husband is just so indignant and so sure, oh, we're fine, we're safe, we're safe. And the snow covers them all, of We course. are ignorant idiots here because... <laughs> all right, but number one, if we went skiing... We would die. I would be a snowball. Just right. I I have yeah. tried to stand up on skis once or twice in my life, and I can't do it. Nah, so my feet need to stay on the ground. I am not good at extreme sports, nah. and I would form a human snowball. So I would never leave the resort. Like to me, going to a resort. Hot makes tub. some sense. Like I'm all about the hot tub. <laughs> I would be cigars, yep. hot tub, lodge. Give me great food. Yep. I'll be warm while you're you bunch of jerks are out there morons basically just falling slowlier down mountains all day in the freezing cold. So I'm not into that. No. So I know nothing about skiing. Does this happen a lot at resorts where they plan these avalanches avalanches so the snow doesn't build up? I hope so. And they're basically moving snow around. I hope so. If so. that's the case, then this viral video could be both real and also force majeure is real. Also, if you've seen force majeure, just tell us. Uh, this is a long way to say. Just tell us what the hell happened here. I don't know. I, I guess I gotta watch that. I don't know how much this has in terms of Oscars legs, but it looks absolutely hysterical. You never know. It looks yeah, great. It's gonna know. be a Sundance thing, so that's a perfect. And place maybe for it's debut. something that that lights Sundance on fire and carries that momentum. We've Nat seen it before. Jackson, he's done some yeah. fun things before. Yeah. And he's, I, I like him. So director we'll and writer of this. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next trailer is the woman in the window. Finally, this get our first look at this. Long-awaited look. Yeah. The complaint. Let's let's harken back to the complaint about this movie. It was screened, and test audiences were confused about the mystery. They couldn't follow. This is the Joe Wright movie, which a great cast. You got Julianne Moore, Gary Oldman, Brian Tyree Henry, and Anthony Mackie, along with Jennifer Jason Leigh and Wyatt Russell. They're all supporting a, a lead performance by Amy Adams 
in this one. Yeah. She, she I don't think she's the woman in the window or she's both. Maybe. Well, maybe that's the mystery. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who the woman in the window is. It could be more or her. I guess it's an It's basically story. rear window, except there's a twist in that, at least what the trailer shows, is that the wife that Amy Adams is sure she sees killed yeah. is a different wife. Now. It's based on a book and you get all of that plot in this movie, but then you get her being affirmed that she's either right or crazy. So yeah. the, 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 the trailer's asking the question, is she right and she's being attacked? Right. Or is she crazy and she's also crazy? Because we know that. Now, movie. what you just described is so 100% accurate. She might be right and crazy. Right. And that's what we see in this trailer, but it makes me 1,000% nervous because that plot was too complicated for screen audiences to follow they got that plot in two minutes then how much of a mess was this movie if that's the case look i mean we've been burned in recent years since we've been covering this and we always get caught up in the hype we always do yeah and preview season is is almost here but it's definitely you know starting to ramp up Mm -hmm. and i know we've been mad that this movie got pushed and there's the whole disney fox thing behind it that you know we're we're mad at that whole thing as well Maybe they pushed it for good reason. Maybe they got to make sense of it. Maybe the the whole exercise of of getting it into a two-minute trailer is how they dealt with it. I don't know. As a studio. You know, I'm hopeful for it because it is a great cast, but I am am worried. One of the Academy Queens mentioned that they put the entire twist in the trailer itself. So if that's also the case. I didn't read the book. I'm just, I'm very confused about what's going on with this. I was thinking about reading the book. I didn't read the book. The fact that... But there's like four twists in the trailer. Right. So which one of them is the big yeah, twist maybe, of the movie? Yeah. So they're just giving you like, a, you know, choose this hand or this hand. They aren't putting it out in January at least, so it's not like a Monuments Men type thing where it's a great ensemble they just want to get it out because they think it's not going to be received right. well. So it does have a decent release in May, so hopefully it lives up to its billing. Joe Wright doesn't make a lot of I know. Right? I, well, that's Tom what we said Hooper. about Tom Hooper. <laughs> Simpatico. All right. So let's jump into a Make the Case segment. I'm going to give you like the hors d'oeuvres. Okay. Before the entree. The main course of the two popes. Of the two popes. So I watched the Aeronauts. It's on Amazon Prime. The Eddie Redmayne character needs to go up in a hot air balloon in order to learn how to predict the weather. He's a scientist. (laughs) And he sells the Felicity Jones character on this fact, and they agree. Mm -hmm. All right, this is premise stuff. (laughs) But because of his readings, he goes up in that hot air balloon on a dark and cloudy day, belligerent that his readings are saying one thing, but obviously his eyes are saying another. So, of course, they get caught in a storm. So this is funny, Mike. So he doesn't believe what he's seeing? He's like, no, no, my readings are otherwise. But he's such an idiot as a character. I don't know. I like Eddie Redmayne (laughs) as an actor. But as a character, he's a dumbass because the whole point of going up there is to learn how to read the weather. (laughs) And he hasn't gone up there to learn how to read the weather yet. He's like, I need to go up there to start, you know, get above the clouds and learn how meteorology as a science above the clouds. And he chooses to do this on a dark, stormy day. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're an idiot, Eddie. You're an idiot. The whole basis of this movie is these two idiots went up there on a cloudy day. And they got caught in a storm. I hope they both died. Well, we wonder why (laughs) the whole science was something that was a bit ominous. But go up there on a regular day. Yeah. Or go up there on just a, 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 not a dark and cloudy day. Maybe a regular cloudy day. If they're white clouds, something different. Uh, Maybe not so surprisingly, you don't think this one has any Oscars legs. The VFX is fine. It's okay. But it looks like VFX. So again, I mean, you really got to dazzle me. Yeah. To make it work. The performances are good. There's some suspense. It's trying to be gravity, but hot air balloons. Oh, God. Which is, it, like the trailer promised, there's some high wire acts, which is ridiculous. Will you ever watch this movie again? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> I got to make the case for two really fun movies. Good. Uh, I'm really, I've been negative this whole episode, so let's be positive for a second. Okay. Walk, Run, Cha Cha. NewYorkTimes.com. Just Google it. It is a best short documentary shortlist, Mike. It took me like four takes to say that. Say that 10 times fast. This easily my favorite documentary short of the last three years. Oh, wow. This is adorable. You get this immigrant story. You get inklings of a midlife crisis story. You get this married couple who are obsessed with learning this dance routine. 
and then you get the dance routine, and that's all you need to know. Watch this movie. Kudos to Laura Nix. This this is entirely the opposite feeling that I usually get from watching shortlisted documentaries. So walk, run, cha-cha on nytimes.com is where we can all find it. Yeah, this. just Google it. You'll find it. It's it's 23 minutes long or something. It's a lot of fun. Uh, oh, my goodness. I loved it. That's that's good, cool to hear, too, because the documentary shorts are usually not happiness. <laughs> It's a parade of sadness. Yeah. And the best one I've seen thus far is Fire in Paradise, which is just just ruins your life. Yeah. It's a 40-minute documentary that ruins your life. It's so well done. No. But it's brutal. So those are two, the two best ones by far that I've seen thus far. I'm going to try and chip away and, and watch the rest of these. I watched a six-minute animated short, Mike. Okay. I just reviewed Kit Bull, which is on Yes, Disney you did. We're very, very high on MMOW. I didn't think I'd get a better animated oh, no, short already? than, than Kit Bull. Hair Love, Mike. Hair Love by Matthew A. Cherry and Everett Downing Jr. is six minutes that made me laugh five times loudly and and cry at the ending. Oh, my I, goodness. I can't believe th- this is possible for a man of my emotional repression. So you prefer this over Kit Bull now? I do. I do. After how glowingly you spoke about Kit Bull? Kit Bull's like an A-, and I put an A- on it. This is like an A. This is just nominate this. Oh my god. It's goodness. so happy. It's so sad. It's so adorable. The animation is great. What a beautiful story. Oh, I just it broke my heart. It it warmed my heart. Watch this now. It's on YouTube, I think. Six minutes. So Hair Love is the animated short that you were very, very high on. I was manipulated by but at the same time, I don't care because it, it worked on me. That's great to hear, and it just, so it sounds like it's going to be a big year for animated shorts as far as emotional impact goes. Yeah. That's awesome. But also, I like cats now. After Kit Bull, which is about a kitten and a pit bull, and this has a great cat in there. Do you prefer both of these animated shorts over Dumpling from last year, or the uh, the Bow? I'm sorry, Bow from last year. Well, Bow was it, it almost should be in different categories. This is six minutes, mm. and Bow was how many minutes it was. Probably 15, 20, something like that, if I'm remembering, right? It was yeah, really long. Maybe, yeah. maybe. I, you could tell a story at any length, yeah. and they told a great story here. I, I I loved it. So that's Hair Love on YouTube that you can go see for the animated uh, short category. Walk, Run, Cha-Cha, C-H-A-C-H-A, on nytimes.com for the documentary short. We're going to transition now to our review of the two popes, and just like we said at the top, uh, we recorded this previously, but just to give you fair warning, there are a, a decent number of spoilers that go into it. We're going to give you a full rundown of what we liked, what we didn't like about the movie in general or in total, and then at the end of this, we're going to be making the case further about some things related to this movie uh, with both lead uh, performances here and having to do with the screen. Place, so I guess we can start not with a make the case, but talking about Jonathan Price and where he at least fits into the best actor race right now. Jonathan Price was thought to be a lock, like as of mm-hmm. three weeks mm-hmm. ago, four weeks ago for the two popes. We're going to transition to that next, but I, I don't think you could say that anymore. Probably with good reason too, and a good reason. Not only for for from the the merit based, you know, I I think Eddie Murphy does more in Dolomite than Price does in the two popes, but also I thought Price would have a narrative attached to him. You know, look how long he's been around. He's been professional for all these years. He doesn't have a lot of awards recognition to his CV, et cetera, et cetera. But his narrative isn't going to stack up to Eddie Murphy's either. So I don't know how he can be at all favored over Eddie Murphy in terms of a pecking order there. And he's he's not going to get help with BAFTA. I mean, that, that you would think, yeah. Most likely, he, he's had trouble over there in the past. So most likely, he's going to be ignored one more time. I, I, I'm shocked to say that because he's such a renowned British thespian. Yeah, and such a yeah, pro's pro. He's been around forever. All that being said, he's campaigning really hard and really well this season. I mean, he had a great interview on Awards Chatter with the with Scott Feinberg Good, there. glad to hear that. So, I, I mean, you never know. You, you never know that right. legacy pick. Everybody forgives you for past sins if they're there or whatever. Maybe he was cold to people in the past. And Ironic you say that because that's true about the two popes plot as well. All right, so <laughs> let's get into some negatives in this kind of snapshot review here first. In terms of the real history and the history portrayed in the film, I read different things than I saw in the movie. And I was surprised by this because what I read online, major publications, it felt like the sugar-coated Catholic Church version. Which is, again, the whole problem I Can have. Can you go into that? 
Well, just, just basically, the, yeah. it's like he was too old, and they didn't get into. We're talking about Benedict. Yeah, and the, the scandal, yeah. the scandal that they're inferring in the film was this corruption scandal, and it was you know that's been happening in the Catholic Church or any major organization from the beginning of the time. I mean, they made a joke about Bloomberg at the beginning of the PBS thing. Right. Viewers like me own you know own this now. Right on of SNL. Yeah. Right. 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 I mean, it's kind of that kind of sort of thing. There's nothing like in in the Wikipedia page or when you when you search online that that you really get into. Oh well, he did handle this child uh, abuse scandal correctly I didn't find that and I was surprised because in the movie it's all over the movie and that's why like I'm, I'm doing a double take like what's the real story here I wonder if the movie if there was a concerted effort to sidestep as much as they could the whole controversy as far as the sexual abuse stuff because they really i think did an effort they couldn't not mention it and it is very much hinted at and intimated but they didn't address it as you would think uh that type of controversy would or should be addressed within this time period that they were focusing on so i seen this once in theaters and the first time i seen it i i they really did a nice job of throwing me off of my soapbox okay right because you watch it and it doesn't really it didn't really strike me as something that, that tonally didn't work but when you think about it or in my case when i rewatched it you have better recall than i do typically or you you, you get angrier you have a hair trigger temper perhaps <laughs> all of those maybe all of those things you're a little more sensitive to you know to slights anyway they they pulled the wool over my eyes in my first viewing the second viewing, like, you can't have a, a sexual abuse of children's scandal being a major yeah. topic of one conversation. And then in the very next conversation, they're talking about oregano or yeah. they're talking about this cutesy way the Pope has his R&R. makes no sense yeah. to, to go back and forth between the those two. Benedict character, Anthony Hopkins character, kind of hints at it twice. Once when he's talking about actually stepping down and retiring, which, again, it's not a spoiler because this is a real-life thing. This is why it's two Popes. Uh, and by the way, shoehorning that line of dialogue in for Jonathan Price's character. What? Two popes? I hated it. <laughs> um, but so he hints at it then. And then there's a scene in which I guess it's kind of, it is kind of the climax of the movie. So a spoiler warning if you don't want to know. But there is a scene in which he a asks for forgiveness. He goes to confession. Anthony Hopkins Benedict character does to Pope Francis, Jonathan Price's character, before officially stepping down. He basically asks for forgiveness. But the way in which he asks for forgiveness is so damning uh, to me. And it was very much hinted at, if not outright said, that I didn't do as much as I could have. Essentially, I turned my back on evidence right. that would have you know, uh, damned a couple people within our church. And I turned my back on them. I didn't protect the kids. I didn't protect the children. I didn't do all I could have done. Uh, and it's kind of glossed over. And the next scene they're they're back on focuses back on the friendship and them waltzing together and dancing. And it really hit me sourly. He doesn't resign the papacy because he's too old. He doesn't yeah. resign the papacy to the other ticket, essentially to the, to the reformer right, ticket. To the progressive, he doesn't come yeah. around to the progressive way of thinking without that guilt complex of knowing he's not up to this job, that he should not be making these decisions, that he's failed miserably right. in the job. And everywhere you look online, you don't get that. You don't, I, I, at least I didn't get that. Yeah. In the movie, it, it's all about that, right. but you can't be all about that and then just high-fiving during a soccer game and it's or eating pizza it's together. It's a Come rough on. tonal shift. It doesn't and work. It's almost impossible. I, I get what Morelli was kind of trying to do. I just think it's an impossible task. I don't think you can go from talking about that to... Well, you either got to be spotlight or exactly, you got to be green right, Exactly. But to try and be both, then you're green book. Right. Well, yeah. Or at least you're highlighting the problems that Green Book had, right? Like Green Book, the first watch, it's a fun movie because I like all jokes about fat Italian guys eating, <laughs> and I love Mahershala playing great music, and I love Mahershala's performance. Yeah, it's a surface, surface level. level. Right. Yeah, on the surface level, it kind of works. But if you think if you about this think one about at all, it at all, yeah, it doesn't make any effing sense. And it should enrage you that their little cutesy friendship is making a difference for one iota. And there's also a difference to me about a guy in a position of power uh, not doing enough. You know, that's negligence, and a guy in a position of power willfully. As, again, he hints at turning his back and turning a blind eye to these kinds of transgressions and atrocities. 
you can't gloss past that. And I understand the Catholic Church and the idea of forgiveness and what confession stands for. And I understand the guy that's supposed to be Pope is supposed to be the biggest I forgive you my son type of person. But it's very much glossed over in a way that was kind of um, uh, bad. And, I, I no other way to put it. Just as bad. a movie and for a movie industry, we're only three pictures, best pictures away from Spotlight winning. It, right, right. right. It's very fr- yeah. You're, it's a great point. It's still right there. So when you th- think about that scandal, you th- as a moviegoer, you think of the movie spotlight, and this movie's just like, oh yeah, remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was bad. Right. But here, let's you know, let's Focus have some on fun. Something else. Or whatever. It doesn't make sense. Like you can't just gloss over that. Concept. It's an impossible tonal shift. It, it really is. I think that's the, where. Yeah, they're, they're like deflecting as yeah. well because Bergoglio gives this whole flashback about things that he did wrong. I guess. I mean, he was put in an impossible situation based on the movie, and the flashbacks are just boring and aggravating. Whenever he's speaking Spanish as Jonathan Price, he's also speaking in this voice that doesn't fit Jonathan Price. That, that voice is so distinct. So that doesn't work either so everything in subtitles is frustrating all of the flashbacks are frustrating the fact that he tells one story and then anthony hopkins tells like a real shit oh my god you ought to be burned at the stake kind of story are you kidding me it doesn't work to have a scene after that be let's waltz in the in the courtyard and as far as price's reflection on him as a younger person and the transgressions he did you know he was accused of doing these things uh, he did these things i should say he wasn't accused of them and then he the subtext of his story as a younger gentleman when he screwed up was basically sometimes even being a pass you can't just be a pacifist sometimes you have to take a stand you can't just try to smooth everything over you can't just sit and have tea with this dictatorship and try to smooth things over and placate your your right. your fellow priests as well it doesn't work so he you have this whole subtextual constitution of this character learning this harsh lesson where you have to take a stand sometimes you have to be active you have to step in and then in that scene as that scene wraps up he's finished telling that story is when anthony hopkins says you know by the way i turned a blind eye to this stuff and jonathan price just forgives me there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work about that for me uh, just it, it really pulled me out of the movie it's the biggest issue i have with the movie uh, i wouldn't say the movie's all bad there's, we got some positives. Yeah, there's positives to take away from it. I really appreciate it. This is something we highlighted in the preview and lead up to it. Uh, for what Morellis did in seamlessly weaving in the real-life news stories and the real-life people that were at the Vatican at the time, having that be part of this movie and having uh, the set reflect as if the news story was going on in real time with this movie, that was very well done. I thought the set design overall was incredible and looked awesome. Yeah, to me, the the biggest positives are cinematography, production design, yeah. costumes. And I, li- I like the editing of the movie, but those first three, I mean, you have authenticity to this world based on all the the outside shots that, that they use from the news footage and all the conclaves. I mean, you don't get to see a conclave up close in any other movie except for maybe Da Vinci Code right, or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah. An action sequence later on in that movie. So we got to see that up close and personal. We got to see all the politics involved. I thought that was utterly fascinating. And, you, you know, you get... To rooting for Jonathan Price's character, I sure. think that's a major positive in terms of the script. Agree. Uh, I'm not made of stone. I'm happy that these two old men are becoming friends. Of course. Uh, I I do think it, it, it's a movie that talks about faith, that talks about modern issues, that talks about two sides uh, of a political divide coming together. I think all of that is important. I like the themes going on. I just don't think you can gloss over right. the issue they gloss over. And I personally have too much baggage with the church right to be able to be objective at this is this point well no yeah way. i mean you're you're you were raised in, you know, went to catholic high school and all that but I, I think anybody that's has anything to do with any kind of catholicism should be feeling righteous indignation over this well i spent eight years with the jesuits and i met a lot of good people there as well so I, on that side of things I, i'm like applauding all right i could see how this type of person who follows this kind of faith can you know do it on a large scale and be successful i mean they've they've run these the, the university and the high school that i went to mm-hmm. impeccably well I, I really respect a lot of people over there so that's the other side of it so i wouldn't say i have baggage based on my eight years with jesuits and in, in terms of their education but at the same time you know i understand the insidious nature of faith of trusting authority that uh, is, is lying to you implicitly just based on right. the faith they're requiring, and they're really putting you putting a gun to your head. 
based on the faith they're requiring. In my opinion, I, I, I think that is, is very disingenuous. And the fact that we're supposed to trust them and then they just completely, you know, allow kids to be. Right. You know, are you kidding me? Right. And we're and, supposed to trust them. And there is a commentary within this, not again, not about the kids because they try to gloss over the kids. But as far as there's a commentary about the progressive of the church in whole. Yeah, but uh, and, the progressives right, ignored it as well, right, didn't they? Right, right. And, but the kids, that's what I was going to say. The kids part of this is a wholly separate issue. It has nothing to do, like you can't retrofit that into anything that the church did right. right. It's gross. It's outlandish. It should have never happened. And it did happen. And we all know about it. So yes, of course, this institution has lost currency of trust with our generation, especially. Why wouldn't they? All right. Well, let's make the case for or against the two performances to start though, Mike. Uh, Jonathan Price. So would you say you're for or against his candidacy for best actor? I'm against, I, I, I'm against it. It's where I fall. I can't see anything that either of these two men, I know we're right. going to talk about, but I just, I take them in concert. I don't see anything that jumps off the screen, especially to compare to the level of what even Eddie Murphy did, right. or certainly what the top three did, Leo, Driver, Phoenix. To me, God bless Jonathan Price. I'm a big fan of his. I was more enthralled with what he did in The Wife last year than this. I would agree with that 100%. He was better in The Wife last year. The scene in the garden is very good. There's a lot he of He has subtext. moments, yeah. This, the first scene in the Sistine Chapel, really the whole Sistine Chapel sequence, the Room of Tears there as well. Uh, otherwise, I, I don't I don't get, like, there's no Oscar real scene no. that just blows you away. No, that's fine. You can have a more subdued performance. There's a lot of subtext with the jokes that he's telling. To me, this is not on the level of Paul Walter Hauser. It's not, not on even the level close. of either performance by Kelvin Harrison Jr. No. I have Antonio Banderas well ahead of him. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't make sense to me. And I'm not hugely high on Antonio Banderas either. So to me, I don't want him over these other these other great performances. I get the sense that, and again, this is why you can't put a lot of stock into these Critic Circle Awards. Like, he was a lock if you go by Critic Circles, but as soon as the SAGs came out and as soon as, you know, the, the more right. unattached to the Critics Awards started coming out in those nominations, I, I feel like the worm has kind of turned, and I don't know if it's people are watching this for a second and third time and starting to, like, understand it more or whatever, but it almost feels like he's starting to fade in the race and he's not going to get to that finish line. I'm rooting for that to happen, even though he's probably my 11 or 12 right. on the year. It's a good performance, right. don't get me wrong. Right, right, right. The same could be said for Anthony Hopkins. And I might like the Anthony Hopkins performance a little more. He's, well, he's got given the, more emotional stuff. Yeah. And he's, he's, he plays it more emotional, too. And he's given, I mean, if, if there is an emotional scene involving two papples here, he has it. <laughs> he does you know? have it. He's also got a lot of subtext going on because he, you know he's got ulterior motives yeah. to what he's doing. And you know he's kind of already changed his mind more than he's let on. And you know that there's a lot that he's white-knuckling throughout this movie because of the scandals that are happening on right. the side. And they do a good, like, there are highlights in the performances. I thought both guys did their characters well, even though I noticed in your notes, and I agree with this, you never don't see Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price. You don't lose them in their characters. Like, maybe you lose a, a Brad Pitt in Hollywood, or you lose Rick Dalton and Leo and vice versa. But they do a good job of playing off one another. They, there is chemistry, clearly, but also, right from the start, you have these two opposing forces, and they do a good job of constituting, well, Anthony Hopkins doesn't want to acknowledge Jonathan yeah. Price as Cardinal because they're at two different ends of the political spectrum. And I mean, that, there's goods to be had here with their how they're playing them. They are good performances, but yeah, I don't know Oscar level for me. But to me, the vulnerability of a Shia LaBeouf, uh, the, the, the full range of a performance by Sterling K. Brown. It's Sterling in there. It's blasphemy that people would vote for Anthony Hopkins over either one of those two. I, I think both in the Irishman, I, there might be three performances in the Irishman Irishman that I would I would tab above this one. Again, I think he's probably more like nine or ten on the year yeah. for me. I mean, it's a very good performance. And if you if you're telling me as a you know accomplished thespian that he's doing things that I'm not noticing as a film critic, I will believe you as well. Right. So maybe the acting branch is seeing yeah, stuff maybe that I'm it's, not it's more nuanced than can meet our Could eyes. Be. So Could there be. is that too. I, I wanted to just comment on outside of the performances. This is one of the weirdest scores. I've yeah. dealt with this year, yeah. and I don't know if it's being treated. I'm trying to look through Gold Derby right now just to kind of get an idea. I don't know if this is being treated as well for score or it's it's up there in anyone's top fives or anything. But I just wanted to make mer mention of it either way because I can't remember a score that I was like so happy with at times. 
And so, what the hell are they doing with this at times? They, they, the Beatles play a role in this movie, and there's a nice, very nice orchestral version of Blackbird yeah. played at one point, which was very beautiful. There's like this pentatonics, updated pentatonics type, all acapella singing, and their voices are doing their own backgrounds. First, but then you have these moments where like this Kenny G type saxophone <laughs> is being played as Jonathan Price looks at the ceiling of the Vatican, and it's like very sensual and sexual in nature, and it's not supposed to be for that scene at all. I don't understand what they were. So it's a very, I just wanted to make mention of that. It's maddening. I, I don't think I've been more maddened by a score this year because some of the highs are very high and some of the lows are WTF is happening here. It, it's a little weird. I've always had a problem with this. Like you walk into a church and there's nothing but por pornography on the scene. <laughs> Can we just say what it is? That's fair too. They're naked people. They're fully nude all over the ceiling. All right. Fair point. Fair point. All right. I've actually never thought of it like That's that. That's what it is. <laughs> All right, so everybody's a hypocrite. That's why my biggest problem with the church is that they say they're holy and they're hypocrites. All right, damn it, you got it out of me. What the fuck? But all right, Two Popes is not in the short list for original score. I know you were mentioning it. It's just something you yeah, I just had highs and lows that, yeah. on, so that's fine. Uh, in terms of the screenplay, I'm kind of against the screenplay getting nominated. It's going to be nominated. Because, you know, they basically took yeah. all the monologues from the play and they turned it into flashbacks. And they really shielded us as viewers from those fireball issues of the child sex scandal, etc. At least on my first watch, yeah, I they was Yeah, cool. they really tried to. Mike, I gave this a B86 on my first watch. My second watch, I'm probably more like a B84, 83, or a, a B- like you are. That's that's the thing. It's, it's fallen the more I think about it because I just, I'm so... I don't know how you can sidestep that. Even it's a terrible rewatch. Let me just yeah. get that out of the way. I, well, that's the other thing. I, I don't think I'm ever going to watch this again. And I didn't want to watch it a third time. Like I was, I was thinking about it. Like I might as well study it again. I mean, yeah. I'm up and down. I'm vacillating. I have the time. We get, we had some time in, in between these uh, recordings. So it's like, do I do it? And I didn't want to. Adapted screenplay is such a ball of wax for both of us. I know this year too because Avengers Endgame we love. It's an impossible script to write. It's getting no awards. Love. It's not going to be nominated. And it's just something like this is. And it's frustrating because this is so chock full of issues and Avengers Endgame was arguably just as volatile in very different ways and very less serious ways but it still accomplished what it needed to and this I don't think did I do get angry because Green Book told a lot of lies white lies yeah. maybe but lies <laughs> emphasis on white all right and this movie is is making a lot of diversions. There's skilled diversions. So the screenwriting craft is there. Yeah, there's attempts. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And this craft was there in Green Book as well. It won for a reason. People are watching that movie and they're see, seeing it flow seamlessly together. They're dancing around all these hot topics. They're covering all covering them all on a surface level. This is doing the same thing. Th this, to me, feels like a Best Adapted Screenplay nominee in a lot of years. I disagree with that kind of nominee that they always see. Yeah. To yeah, put here, probably... Avengers Endgame made the impossible possible. Right. Just look at how Star Wars fucked it up. Look Game at how of they... Thrones. Oh my yeah. God! Look at how Game of Thrones screwed up, and Avengers Endgame just oh my my goodness gracious nailed it. Yeah, I think. Uh, I but think, they don't give that credit. I think you put it very eloquently right there, and I think that uh, you articulated it very very well. And it's it's frustrating. Um, this is also one of those pictures. Like I will feel bad if it does well. I don't want this to do well, you know. I don't I mean? either. And it's it's I feel bad saying that because it's such an impossible task. Like the concept of this is concentrating on the relationship between these two individuals with right. this dragon in the background of this child abuse yes. scandal that you can't focus on, but how can you not focus on it? So they try to not focus on it, except that it's impossible to make a screenplay where that's not the focus. It's still like a top 100 movie of the year for yeah. me, top 50, I would say, maybe. Uh, at the end of the day, it's going to wind up being a, a low B, B-minus for me. Yeah, so I'm like an 82, 81 B-minus It's right now. not a bad movie. You could do worse in terms of, you know, Christmas vacation Netflix watches, I would say. I know we were harsh on it. I'm just harsh on it as a top 10 film of the year. You should, I'm harsh on it as an Oscar nominee. You should instead just watch Christmas Vacation, would be my <laughs> advice. All right, that is your... Look around everything, award season and Oscars base, complete with another uh, profile, not an Oscar sprint profile, but a rundown of one of the Oscars potentially favorite. Maybe it'll get nominated. We'll see how it goes uh, at the end of the year here. I think we it's have, on the fringe. Yeah, I, I hope it's 
on the outside looking. In. It <laughs> might be say, a lot of people's top tens. I know. There's a, there's a lot of people that are very high on it, yeah. I saw on, on Twitter especially. So uh, we'll see how it plays out, but that's the magic and the wonder of this time of year and what we're doing. We have a lot of stuff also coming up, but we want to wish you, obviously, a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays and whatever you are celebrating. We hope it's a good one and a decent one and low stress uh, <laughs> because mine won't be. <laughs> We hated everything in this episode. Merry fucking Christmas. Yeah, well, that's, that's how we look. Want that's to how it fits for my holidays, all right? So it's perfectly in step with what I'm used to doing here. Uh, so I appreciate the congruence. We always said we'd be honest with you, right, folks? <laughs> We're, uh, we're grumpy at Christmas time, and I guess we're honest with you today. We're uh, grumps. Good luck eating all the calories, and I hope, uh, remember, calories don't count on your holiday, so that's important to remember. You can pick out as much as you want. As far as anything else, we want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything we talked about here in this episode of Oscar Race Checkpoint, or anything else we comment on here in the MMO universe. You can leave us those comments. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM, and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com, and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. If you happen to use your iPhone or the Apple Podcasts app, if you would not mind tapping on the podcast app uh, with the purple square with the white, uh, the Pope sticking out of the middle of it, uh, typing in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the search, tapping on our logo, scrolling down once, and leaving us a five-star review. Uh, that would be a very nice Christmas present that you can Thank leave you. us under our figurative tree here. Michael, what is coming next from MMO, and what are some holiday words of wisdom for all these people to go out happy with? So we're going to review Little Women, Bombshell, Uncut Gems in 1917. I think in that order over the next few weeks, two or three weeks. We have category overview pods coming up. Yeah. We're going to have six or seven of those. We're going to continue with the Oscar race checkpoints because they typically will kick off your week and we'll have a lot of award season news with the precursors. We're going to review the SAGs, the Critics' Choice, the Globes, of course, uh, and, and then the Oscar nominations. We may have like an extra award season news show for you a week. You might have Double Orc. and Double Orc. Double orc. Orc orc. I don't know. (laughs) Because there's one week where, like, everything's crammed in together. Now we're starting to feel the press of the schedule. Yeah. This, how dare every studio this year wait until the, I mean, we said the end of the year was going to be mayhem, but this is, this is too much. No, but I think we handled it right. I mean, we, we, we. Oh, we're great. Yeah, we reviewed a lot of uh, movies, uh, Oscar contenders, yeah. in these Orc episodes to give you that extra movie review a week. So I, I think it worked out. We still got MMOW going strong, so we'll keep putting those episodes out as well. And uh, those four movie reviews before the category overviews and all the award season stuff is coming. <laughs> Just listen to us. That's your words of wisdom. Listen to us. We're covering it all. Yeah, yeah, we certainly are. Guys, uh, like Mike said, and like we always say here, when reality sucks or your holiday sucks or you need an escape from your family, <laughs> listen, I get it. I'm with you. Sometimes we can hide our tones, sometimes we can't. <laughs> we can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Sincerely, we hope you do have a very good and blessed holiday. I uh, hope it's refreshing for you, and we will be here to get you through the new year as 2020 rears its head. We will see you very soon. Humbug, but you guys have fun. <laughs> see ya. See ya. All right.